exploring is really tough and often the only way you ever find out how to do something is by getting in there and having some skin knocked off. Ready to raise capital? It's time to get your dose of investment insights with the Investment Fix podcast. Brought to you by New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. Kia ora. I'm Dylan Lawrence, General Manager of the Investment Team at New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. On today's Investment Fix, I'm with the CEO of Premium Pet Food Manufacturer, Natural Pet Food Group, Neil Hinton, and Executive Director of Pioneer Capital, Craig Styrus. Pioneer Capital invested into Natural Pet Food Group in its early growth stages back in 2013, right up until the recent buyout of the company by KKR earlier this year. No my hide in my Neil. No my hide in my Craig. Thanks, Alan. This investment partnership between Natural Pet Food Group and Pioneer Capital has so many great topics that I think entrepreneurs and business owners would be interested to explore. So let's start with you, Neil. I understand there's a really interesting story behind Natural Pet Food. One of the founders spending time studying the diet of Alaskan wolves or something like that. Tell me a bit about it and what the company and the products are all about. Yeah, sure, Dylan. I didn't join the company until 2015, and it was founded back in 2006. And what I found when I walked in the door was there was a treasure trove of stories that had gone before me. And I think that's probably typical of an entrepreneurial startup. And so I can't attest to the veracity of all of these stories. So it'll go in the founders and early shelters books, I think. The one that you refer to, the Alaskan wolf. So basically the premise of our business is that the carnivals in our household would actually be a hell of a lot better off if we fed them meat. Now, that might be something that should be self-evident to anyone who's done science to about year three, but it's not. And the case with the pet food industry is that for the last 40 years, we've been feeding our cats and dogs high-carbohydrate kibble, when actually they'd be an awful lot better if they had a diet that was a lot more similar to their wild ancestral cousins, the grey wolf. And that was the premise of our business that was founded by Jeff Bowers all those years ago. And our diets to this day are based on that instinctive diet. And you just see incredible health benefits from changing our carnivores in the household over to a high meat diet rather than a high carbohydrate diet. So it's kind of what I walked into was a bunch of these amazing pulpit thumping evangelists that were out there espousing these stories. And at that stage, Pioneer had just come in as investors and we're quite keen to pull all of this stuff together and put it into a coherent framework that might be able to transition from what was you know, an incredible startup story into potentially a scale-up. So that's how that story came about. But as I say, there's a hell of a lot of other stories like that that I'm going to leave for the founders to write in their books. <laughs> Fair enough, too. So, Craig, Pioneer Capital stepped in as an investor in 2013. Tell us a bit about how you came across K9, as it was known back then, and what attracted you to invest? Yeah, thanks, Dylan. It was a range of different things, to be honest. I mean, we had known the business for a few years. There was a connection with one of our limited partners or our investors. One of their board members was involved with the business from the early days. And then really when we started to do our own research and scratch away at the industry, as Neil described, it's just an obvious one. I mean, the pets should be eating high meat diets and they've been fed high carbohydrate diets. And then when you think about the protein sources New Zealand has access to, the New Zealand story around it, all of those sorts of things, it became a very interesting brand play. It was a differentiated product. Business already had established distribution channels in about 20 different countries. So it really had the bones of a great story and a great 
investment opportunity. So we did our usual due diligence process, which covered the usual accounting and tax and legal, but a lot of work on what we call the commercial side of things. So that involved us getting in market with the team, going to trade shows, understanding the dynamics around the industry, and actually getting comfortable with the investment. And then ultimately, what are the planks that we would need to put in place to substantially grow the business? Neil, what has that funding from Pioneer allowed the company to do? How did it lay that foundation? Foundation is the right word. When I came in, the Pioneer investment had just arrived. And so we were in a state of transition. The business had just gone from a small manufacturing site here in Christchurch to an outsourced model with a big opportunity to scale up. Having that funding in that first stage, particularly for me coming in as a new CEO, really bought us the time to strengthen the foundations. It's a bit of a process of how do you pull together this incredible story and this incredible opportunity. The business prior to me had done an awful lot of incredible stuff, but not all of it was going to be successful. And so you talk about test and learn. There was a lot of testing, but the business is just moving too fast for anyone to actually spend any time doing any learning. So that was what I was able to do in that first year. And with the board and the Pioneer Investment, we sit down and go, there's a bunch of amazing stuff here, but some of it won't work. Let's focus on the bits that are the best, the bits where we really have a right to win, strengthen those up, invest in those things, and then build a really solid foundation that we go, actually, this is a leverage point for scale. So from here, we have the ability to scale up a business. In the early days of the board, we sort of said, you know, here's how I see it. Let's stabilize, build foundations. That was year one. And then year two was, let's place a few bets. Let's use the next tranche of Pioneer money to test a few bets. This thing here we think could work. And if we trial that in New Zealand, then could we take that to Australia? Could we take that to North America? And if it's successful here and we learn a bit, will we eventually give ourselves the opportunity to win in all of these markets? And that was the methodology that we applied. And then the other big thing for me was then being able to build out a team. We're able to recruit in some great talent and test a few things that we backed ourselves that would be successful. I like that concept, startup to scale up. Can you give us an idea of your size now in terms of staff and markets? Every year you set an aspirational goal and either beat it or get bloody close and then you just keep going. And if you do that long enough, you end up with a bit of scale. Strangely, we're in less markets than we were, but again, that was part of that focus. Actually, we recognised there were markets where we didn't have a right to win and sometimes the best thing to do is just exit that, redeploy the resource in the places that you can win. So we're in about a dozen key markets, but we're a lot deeper in those markets. And we've gone from about 30 up to well over 60, and that's with an outsourced manufacturing model. So if you take into account the people that work directly on manufacturing our products that aren't employed by us, that's well over 100. And that would have doubled over that same period of time as well. Now, part of your growth strategy included a name change from Canine Natural to Natural Pet Food Group. Craig, can you tell us about how this came about and what it enabled the company to do? It's actually an interesting story because when we first invested, it was Canine Natural Limited, and it really was a dog business, say 90% dog. And then as the business evolved, we could just see the value that was being placed on the cat side of the business. So we made the decision, let's rebrand the entity to Natural Pet Food Group. It also enabled us to launch another brand, which Neil and the team did, called Meat Mates, which opened up other channels. It opened up grocery, it opened up e-commerce, which Canine Natural, Feline Natural couldn't really fit in comfortably alongside their other channels. So it helped elevate 
and give equal weight to all of the brands that are inside the portfolio. Was it quite an effort to shift this perception, Neil, or was it just a natural extrapolation of where the business was going anyway? It was a natural move for us. We started out as a branded house. You know, we were Canine Natural Limited, but over time we could see ourselves evolving into a house of brands. And so thinking about how we could unlock that internally, did we have a brand manager for Feline Natural as well as Canine Natural and how linked were they? If you think about a cat owner versus a dog owner, quite often very different kinds of personalities. So having that level of separation has helped us to really target the individual brands in different directions. It was a good strategic challenge for us to try and resolve early on. And then in terms of how we went about the change, we decided the easiest way to do it was to just do it by osmosis. So we changed the holding company, we changed business cards, and we probably put this in place three years ago. And over time, it's evolved. And now most of us refer to who we work for as the Natural Pet Food Group, but we're still known as the canine crew in North America. And so it's quite interchangeable. And I had a lot of time early in my career working in the Lion group of companies. You work for Lion in one part of New Zealand, but you work for Spates when you were down south. So it's kind of the same thing. Neil, can you tell me a bit more about your channel strategy and how it evolved over time? What we were trying to do and continue to try and do is to really create high value export products out of New Zealand. A hard challenge for the New Zealand meat industry to do because no, they don't have retail ready packs, but it's something that the pet industry can do. And so we've always taken a view that we want to be the pinnacle brand in all of our markets. And so, you know, we want to be right at the very top of the pyramid. The challenge with that, of course, is accessibility. So it means that you're not accessible to everybody. And so one of the philosophies that we introduced really early on, and this is where Pioneer's initial investment was really useful, was we tested some concepts that we talked about, can we put some lower rungs on the ladder and help people step into our brand and hope they'll come further and further up the ladder. So rather than only being about a full meal, we introduced toppers. So the idea that actually you can improve the palatability and the nutrition of a diet by adding a little bit of our product onto the top of a main meal. We didn't have to own the whole meal, but we could get trial. What we knew would happen is the cat or dog would pick all of our stuff off the top, look up at mum and dad and go, what was that? I want more of that. I'm not eating this rubbish again. So you'd force people into making different choices. So that was one of the big things that drove our growth. We looked at other more accessible formats. So could we have a wider range of natural treats that would get people into our brand? We introduced cans, but we didn't just do a normal can, we did a can that had no gelling agent and no additives into it. So it looked different, it was very natural, but it was in an accessible format. And what that did was brought a lot more people into our brand. And then over time, we've been able to work these people up the ladder to become converts to you know what we believe is the best pet food in the world. Craig, can we build on this concept of focus in the international market? What do you think the company's got right in terms of the entry into international market. And talk to us about the role an investor plays in that. It was an interesting one for us because the company was exporting to over 20 countries when we first invested, but now we're only exporting to a dozen. But that really is about just going deeper. We see a lot of exporters who are, I'll say they're skimming stones. They're sending a container every so often and they're almost waiting by the fax machine, waiting for another order or hoping another order comes through. So Neil and the guys did a fantastic job of of really almost pulling back and getting deeper into a core group of markets and 
layering in new products and opening up new channels in those markets and just leveraging the resources that we had in those markets to get a much more stable and predictable business. In terms of what we think the business got right, we see one of the key planks again is investing in the markets themselves. I mean, we're big fans of employing people in those countries or in those territories and really going hard in those markets. You get the most bang for buck, you're having people working alongside your distributor. So in terms of what we contributed through the investment, it was a range of different things. Ultimately, we we invested near on 10 different times into the business. So a range of different growth capital to support initiatives Definitely helped professionalize the management team with Neil coming in and helping Neil and supporting him to build out the bench alongside him. There's a lot of shared knowledge across the portfolio. We invest exclusively into high value exporters with over 80% of the revenue from our portfolio generated outside New Zealand. So there are a lot of similar challenges that are being encountered by Natural Pet Food Group or being encountered by the other companies that we've invested in. And then you've got your more standard things like adding some financial rigor at the board and looking at various strategic initiatives. We looked at some M&A opportunities along the way. So it's being able to lean in and help on those different initiatives because typically the company doesn't have that expertise or resource embedded in the team already. They're more focused on scaling the business rather than looking at those left of field opportunities. Now, Neil, Craig talked about the fantastic job the company did at going deeper into a core group of markets, including North America and China. Why was that? We thought those were the best places for us to play. In North America, this is where the market was most established. And the early guys have done an awesome job of establishing our beachhead there. And so, you know, you have a toehold, you work your way out from there. And North America has a strong understanding of the benefit of high meat. New Zealand has a great story. Our pastoral model, grass-fed meat, has a better nutritional profile. We have much better omega-3 to 6 ratio than any meat that's um, barn-raised or grown anywhere else in the world. So that's a real nutritional benefit that New Zealand has. And then China, again, was one of those markets that we just saw the massive opportunity. New Zealand had a unique advantage in terms of being able to export our very clean meat there, whereas every other country had issues with beef diseases. So it gave us an early opportunity. We're pioneers in exporting freeze-dried meat products. No one else had ever done that anywhere in the world. So we could create this market first into China. And as we all know, the Chinese consumer trusts New Zealand's supply chain. So that became a market we felt we had a winning proposition and we should push hard into. And China's now 40 to 50% of our total business. All the other markets have grown really strongly, but China's just gone from first shipment in 2016 to now not far off half our business. I imagine it hasn't all been plain sailing. Can you share a couple of challenges you faced and key lessons you've learned on your exporting journey? We used to describe what we were doing as walking above a ravine on a high wire and very high winds, and every day we'd get closer to the other side. And there's a few things that we went through. Having come out of larger corporate businesses, the thing that struck me most in the early days was the level of risk that small private businesses take on that you just don't see in a corporate. That at times was a bit daunting. And so when you know you've got the support of your major investor and the board to help you through these things, you have the confidence to then say, well, let's build a plan to get ourselves across it and let's not lose sleep about how we got here. Let's instead just work our way out of it. And there are a number of those, particularly in the very early days. And some of them were challenges where you weren't necessarily doing what you thought was philosophically right, but you had to be pragmatic and say, yeah, but in the market, what we philosophically believe 
will not win. So we're going to have to change some of our philosophies to adapt to what the market's going to need or what the regulator wants. I'm very realistic about it. If we hadn't managed to solve those problems, then we might have been having a different conversation. But if you can demonstrate a plan and work your way towards it, and if you can be really transparent with your board, then you've got every chance of solving those challenges. Yeah, Dylan, just to build on Neil, I will pull one specific example. Hopefully Neil's happy for me to talk about it. And there was a big call that we needed to make. I think it was in about 2018 around the US market where we were exporting frozen product. It's a particularly challenging product to export, and it represented about 20% of the business at the time, thereabouts, and we decided to exit. So it was a big call to essentially put a line through that much of your business, and we had the sales team in the US screaming about it, and Neil was essentially telling them, keep the faith, we have these new products coming through. They were shelf-stable ambient products. We were able to backfill, and to be honest, it played out very smoothly. The sales team picked up and just moved gear from selling this product to selling this new product. And it actually step changed the business very quickly. It was a tough call to think about at the board to write off that much of your revenue, but absolutely for the medium and long term, it was the right call to make. We talked about it probably two years prior to doing it. It was one of the situations we said, we are going to have to do this. It's low margin. It was very expensive shipping frozen containers around the world, but also you lose all control of that product quality. You know what it's like shipping that across North America through deserts and all the rest of it, and you've got a frozen product. It was a big risk for us. I'd had a crack at softening the board up for a period of time on it. One of the challenges was, well, you need to replace it with something else because you know, none of us can afford to drop 20% of our revenue. That was the challenge for me and for the rest of the sales team. We have to do this for the right reasons, but we now have to prove that we're good enough to replace it with these amazing products that do have a long future in front of us. You're very proud of your team when they step up to a challenge like that. And absolutely, the US team just absolutely nailed their next year's numbers, which was (laughs) very gratifying for me. And I took a bit of personal risk on that one. Great example of recognising when you can't win, but not giving up. Hey, I'm just going to shift tack. I'd really like to hear from you, Neil, your perspective about the premium pet food industry. It's booming right now. What do you think the reasons are behind this? And I guess building on that, has COVID had an impact? Yes, pet food's a great space right now. You know, we all think about the roles that pets play in our lives and they've become increasingly important. And this has been going on for a long period of time, but COVID has definitely accelerated that. So thinking about our family structures, generally we're having less children or we're having children later or we're choosing not to have children. We're living longer lives, so there's longer periods of our life when we don't have kids in the house. So this whole thing around pet parenting has become real. Our dogs in particular no longer sleep outside in the kennel. Invariably got the best place in the house. That has changed massively. So people are replacing that parenting experience with their animals and they're starting to think about things like nutrition. And so the choices that you're making for the two-legged members of your household, you're now taking those same sorts of choices to the four-legged members of your household. So you're interested in what's best for them nutritionally. You're interested in transparency and where did these products come from and what is their packaging and sustainability and how does that apply to what I'm doing for my pet as well as for my children. So all of those trends are just massive tailwind for our category. And then at the same time, you've got a lot more people around the world living in apartments, there's smaller houses. Cats have really taken off as a pet. They're very simple. They don't need to be walked. They're pretty clean. They're small. And the fact that 
Cats are relatively small. Dogs are getting smaller. So the large breeds are in decline. Mid-sized small breeds are increasing. They eat less each day. Therefore, the cost of giving them a really premium meal has gone down relatively on a daily basis as well. So if you're in the premium, really good nutrition space in pet, it's a really good place to be. Building on that, Craig, and a little bit of foreshadowing here, 2013, did you see this sort of exponential growth and premiumization of the pet food market? We can't take full credit for it. We knew that we were investing in an industry with tailwinds. During our investment period, there were some other avenues that opened up, like China definitely woke up to pet parenting and being very cognizant of what they are feeding their pets. But the tailwinds around what Neil has talked about in terms of just whole food based, being very aware of what you're feeding your animal. Yeah, absolutely. Those were trends that we had seen and identified ourselves. We were customers of the business prior to investing and became users of the product after we invested. And we definitely could see the benefits to our own animals. And then you think about more broader things like the pet industry is not cyclical. It's very recession proof. It's a fantastic industry to invest into from that perspective. And on top of that, the product itself that the guys have, we would think about it as very sticky, so strong, repetitive purchase behavior. It's almost like once somebody is converted to canine or to feline natural, very seldom do they move off it. The pets just get used to eating it, and then the consumer can't move the pet off it. From an investor perspective, it's a fantastic story. I want to switch slightly now and talk about governance and I guess the role that an investor like private equity plays in businesses they've invested in. Craig, I'll stick with you. Pioneer Capital's investment philosophy is to build a long-term partnership with the owners and the business operators. How does this practically manifest itself into the businesses or in this example, Natural Pet Food Group? How did that manifest? Yeah, it's very similar across all our businesses, really. And it is what you say. We view ourselves as a partner with the team. We're all trying to build the biggest and the best company that we can. It's doing what we can and recognizing where our skills are best placed to help achieve that. At the end of the day, though, we're not managers. We're not going to get in the way of what the management team is doing. We view ourselves as active board members. So active, obviously, in the board meeting, but in between the board meetings. So at the end of the day, it is backing the team's the other thing around what we do, you know, we are growth investors and exporters. It's not an easy business. It's difficult. Growing exporters is difficult. And so the way I talk about it, you know, nothing goes smoothly up and to the right that you see on a nice chart. There's always the ups and the downs. Things never pan out as you expect them to. It's just so important to be patient and supportive of the businesses and know that things aren't going to be plain sailing. We own everything from 30% to 100% of a business and that philosophy or how we act doesn't really change at all and it really is just about supporting the company where it makes the most sense. Good time for a report card now. Neil, from your perspective, what doors do you think Pioneer opened for natural pet food and what capability do you think Craig brought to the board? It was my first experience in a private equity owned business. You walk in, you don't really know what to expect. But what I found was the network from the Pioneer Capital Group was fantastic. So immediately you've got access to other people who are challenged in the same sorts of ways. I think for any CEO, having a good relationship with your board is crucial. So there is that whole opportunity just to get some different perspectives. Sounding boards, you're also feeling like you don't actually have to make all the decisions. You can sit there and say, actually, this is where we've got to. We can present some options, but in the end, this is really the shareholder's decision about which path we take next. 
And that can quite often be a bit of a relief for you because you do at times feel like you've just got to make every call. And having those strong governance boards with a wider independent group as well really helped. Pioneer were great when you needed some extra help. They could throw help at it and I'd frame it up and say, we could try and recruit this role into the business, but it's temporary and it's a waste of resource. Can we instead borrow some of your resource? And generally, they'd be able to provide some of that for us. But I think the focus on growth and the patience and the willingness to accept the fact that exporting is really tough and often the only way you ever find out how to do something is by getting in there and having some skin knocked off. Yeah. And that was the philosophy. In the end, you'd sit there and go, look, we can try and tell you how this is going to play out. But until we actually send a container, we have no idea how we are going to get across the port of Shanghai for the first time. In the end, that's what you do. You dip your toe in your rapid and sensors and you learn as quickly as you can. And to have a supportive board that had been through that and accepted that meant that we could push those decisions faster. I'm really excited to hear about your experiences and insights on this next topic. At the end of the day, investors into a business, they're looking to make a return, and at some point they need to realise that return. Craig, in April of this year, Natural Pet Food Group was acquired by KKR. Can you tell us from your perspective, how did this come about? It was a combination of a lot of work, unsurprisingly. Over the years, we had had quite a few different approaches from various parties looking to invest in or buy the business, partner with the business. So it really got to the point where we wrapped all of that into a process and ultimately talked to a number of the parties and got them across the line. But if I go back in time, we made the decision to start looking to sell the business. This was probably in mid to late 2019. So at that point, the team was starting to build some of these relationships with those parties who had expressed interest in the business. So anytime Neil or the senior leadership team were offshore in these markets, it was pretty typical for them to get in front of them and have a coffee, have a beer, whatever it may be with those different parties, really just to start cultivating that personal relationship. Because if they were to ultimately buy the business, it was going to be all about those relationships with the people going forward. And then when we got to the sale process itself, we were kicking things off in earnest just around the time of the lockdown. And I don't think we would have been anywhere near as comfortable with the process or successful with the process if the team hadn't built all of those relationships prior to officially pushing the go button with the PwC guys on the sale process, which started in about May or so of 2020. So there was a lot of work done actually talking to buyers, asking them, are you comfortable doing due diligence without coming to New Zealand? And universally, they were because they had met the team on multiple occasions prior to lockdown. And so, Neil, for all those founders, CEOs listening out there, how does this experience go for a CEO? What do you need to consider? One of the most important things is thinking about your stakeholder set a little differently. For me, that was probably one of the first things that I wanted to have a chat to the board about. Clearly, your employees are such an important stakeholder set. So how do we make sure that we take these guys on the journey? Are we going to be open and transparent about this process or is it going to be something we just tell them about at the end? It was really important that we had that conversation up front. It also meant that when we engaged with potential purchasers, we could give them the confidence that if they wanted the team, we're all on the journey with them. If you went into that COVID environment with a set of people that were like, no, we're out, then that would have been a lot more challenging to widen your buyer set. So it was one of the really important things. As a senior team, we're all really committed to sticking with the business, 
getting a great result for our outgoing shareholders who'd supported us through the seven or eight years that Pioneer had been involved, but then equally being confident in our ability to deliver the plan that we were presenting and asking somebody else to invest in. That meant that you go into the process with a lot of clarity, and I think that helped in the end. And who leads the decision-making on this? Well, who leads the sale process, Craig? Ultimately, it's a combination of the major shareholders, the board and the executive team and the advisors. But as you'd imagine, it quickly shrinks down into what you call kind of a deal team. So that was a combination of myself because generally I'm kind of the more experienced in that space around the board and then the management team and then the advisor group who are driving it more day to day. And it's just so important to have alignment through all of them. Neil talked a lot about the communication that he did with his team. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, everyone was very clear and understanding of what exactly we were looking to do, how things may play out. I was convinced that anybody looking to invest into the business wanted the team and was such a fantastic team that had been built. I mean, it played out that way. Reflecting back, Neil, what do you think Natural Pet Food Group did really well in that transition from Pioneer Capital to KKR? We're really transparent and we built trust. And I think that in the end was the most important thing through the whole process. What gives confidence is if you can demonstrate that you can face the reality of a challenging situation. You are aware that something could come and sideswipe you tomorrow, but you've demonstrated the agility to adapt and adjust and solve problems. And for any investor, that's almost your biggest fear is, are these guys hiding anything Who's going to be there if I go into this thing because I don't know the business? Who's going to be there to solve it for me? And that was probably one of the things that we did well. And I think it was well worth us investing that time. And as Craig said, the KKR guys, I've known them for well over two and a half years. We knew they loved what we were doing. We loved what they were doing. Connected really well personally. Great people. And I've had dinner with them a few times around the world. So you did build that personal relationship as well. And I think in the end, particularly in COVID times, you want to know that You've got a trusting relationship and you can have a hard conversation, but you're committed to the same cause. Gotcha. Now, the counter to this is lessons learned. So for other businesses looking at bringing investors in, growing their businesses, and then an eventual exit, have you got any advice? And Craig, I'll throw to you. I think this really is a great case study of going deeper and focus. Those decisions of narrowing the number of markets. In the end, we picked Australia, Japan, China, and the US and put resource inside each of those markets with locals and really put the foot down hard in those markets and then service the other markets through a slightly lighter touch, more distributor model. That worked brilliantly and probably in hindsight would have done that earlier and probably gone potentially a little harder in some of those markets. But then when things like COVID hit, being able to lean on and rely on your resource that is already in those markets was invaluable for the business and then invaluable from a sale process as well. Awesome. And what about you, Neil? Yeah, the fact that we had spent a lot of time in those core markets, building teams, building relationships has meant that we have been able to maintain the culture of the business. We've been able to maintain strong personal relationships with all of our people because we've invested so much time with them. You know, we've done an awful lot of traveling and exporting from New Zealand, you cannot do it light touch. You've got to get yourself embedded into the markets. Neil, Craig, thank you so much. There's an incredible amount of insight here for owners and founders looking to raise capital for international growth. Yours is a story focusing on a few key markets, getting your channel strategies really clear and testing and testing again. Hey, I've also loved hearing about the process of a major investor exiting a business something you guys 
really seem to have nailed. And for anyone out there who's just starting their funding journey, make sure you check out NZTE's Invested Online Tool. It's a free resource for businesses who are looking to raise capital, and it has tons of really practical information, advice, and tips, all based on the experiences of thousands of Kiwi businesses. You'll learn about the different investment paths you can take, which one might be right for you, and how to properly prepare yourself to pitch to investors. So if you're thinking about raising capital, take a look at www.invested.co.nz. Nā mihi kia korua. That was your investment fix from NZTE. For a bigger financial fix, head to investnewzealand.nz.